If you have your Bibles with you and you can turn, you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're in the middle of Ephesians 5 today and we continue working through that letter. And I want to start today with an illustration as the lights come up and you guys can see a little better. But but here is the illustration because I'm going to come back to it a couple times. I was Many of you know I was down in Oregon this week um, visiting my parents. Amazing, wonderful. Ah, I'm so blessed to have a mom and dad who love Jesus. But my dad's in a wheelchair, and he can't get out of the wheelchair by on his own. He has a form of Parkinsonism. It's very debilitating. And at this point, he's in a wheelchair all the time. And the cool thing is it's a power wheelchair. So he's able with this little knob, you know, and you can push it, in, and it's on, and then you can kind of tool around and move it around as you go with the wheelchair that moves, right? The difficulty is now my dad is so far along with his disease that even doing that is a little bit beyond him in some ways. So he, he, even if he thinks, I want to go into that room, and he starts to use the thing, he doesn't have the control, and he bangs into the wall or bangs into the, the, the cabinet, or he starts to make, make uh, the house less beautiful. <laughs> and many times he wants to go places that he can't go. He wants to say, oh, I just want to go over here into the middle of the kitchen when everyone's making dinner, and it doesn't work, you know, so... So the thing is, you've got to come alongside him, and that's what I was doing this week, is I'd come alongside, and I'd take control of the little little um, lever, and I'd move him to where he's supposed to be, and I could do it smoothly because I had that kind of control. I just want you to hold on to that thought right now. As we start to talk about the wonder of what it means to be a Christian and to respond to the Lord. Because, you know, we've been in Ephesians, and Ephesians is amazing. Three chapters of just what God's done for you. You know what he's done for you, and it just goes on and on. Not a single command, nothing for you to do, just to receive the wonder of what Jesus in the cross and coming to earth and all that God in Christ has done for you and me. Culminating, if you remember, at the end of chapter 3 with this amazing, the height, the depth, the width, that you might even glimpse for a second the love of Christ, which is so much deeper than you can ever, ever think, you know. And then Paul had these responses. These walks, now that that's true, if you grasp that that's true and you're here, you say, yes, Jesus is my life. He's done everything for me. Now I want to respond. I want to walk. I want the rest of my life. What do I do now? And he doesn't ignore that. He gives us five walks. Today's the fifth one. We've already had four of them. The first one is walking unity, you know, this amazing thing that, yeah, we do gather around the cross alone. That's it. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one spirit. It's it, just one. And then not to walk like you used to, Gentile, you know, tearing people down and working on yourself. But now because you have Christ, it's not about that. You just try and build each other up. Then last week we looked at two of them. We looked at walk in love and walk in light. And this amazing thing that now that I know, even though I was a sinner, even though I still am a sinner, my sins are covered by the blood of Christ. I can be transparent. I don't have to, like, hide them away like so many people are want to do in the world and try and just put your best face on and we talked about that last week today's the last one and in some degrees it's it's one of the most important ones i think usually he leads with the most important that's unity but then the second most important in greek is usually at the end and here we are at the end and he's going to spend a chapter and a half on it and it's kind of what i'm calling walk wisely walk carefully in wisdom and as soon as I say it, they say, yeah, walk wisely, Christian. Many of you will do what I do. I can, I kind of go, yeah, 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 I'm supposed to be good. So now that a Christian, now I walk wisely, I'll just do the best I can. 
I think of it kind of like my garden, you know. It's like I get saved. I, I need to go turn on the water. So I turn on the water for my garden soaker hose. Good. I'm set. Yeah, I'll do the best I can. And I go and I tootle on. And I come back an hour later, and what's happened? There's huge puddles all over my garden because I couldn't set it and forget it. It's not what needed to happen. Walk carefully means something. Our walk as Christians need to be carefully in the love of Christ for you. And that means something, something very particular. So very special today, so counter to what's commonly called wisdom that it might be another language. So I want to make sure you hear that. Let's, let's, let's just read the, the, the first couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 5. Here it is, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. There's that fifth walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so there it is, right right away. It's, it's, it's up there in your face. It, it says, hey, be careful. Because you want to walk wisely. You want to use your time well. This is the opposite of walking foolishly, you know, is to walk knowing the will of God for you and me. You know what we normally do? We normally try to fit what I just said right into our world view. I heard it this morning on the Christian radio as I was driving to church. They come up and the guy said this. He said, hey, you know, he's trying to give a pithy statement. He said, you know, your decisions today are what makes your future tomorrow. Make sure you make wise decisions. That's what I think he's saying. That's what I think this starts to get into me. You know, make good decisions. Be wise. It's kind of like a restatement of how I think of Proverbs and so on. Get wisdom, but I'm thinking wisdom in terms of, 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 of pragmatics, of how-tos. This is so much different. This is the other language because, because in our society and in your life, you are prone to think of wisdom as pragmatism. Well, what, 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 I don't understand. Yeah, right? For parenting, for marriage, for finances. If you do them with skill, you'll get ahead. We'll have a solid marriage. We'll have firm finances. We'll have kids with no problems. You know, if I could just have those wisdom principles. And then, did you see what, what Paul did there? Then I say, well, yeah, if I could have wisdom, you know what I really need for wisdom? I need to know God's will. I put that right into the hopper, Right? takes a whole other step. If I could find God's will, then I would take the right steps. So, so, so you know, should I, should I use physical discipline on my kids or not? You know, should I homeschool or should I public school or should I private school? What, 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 what age should my kids get a cell phone? Short answer, never. 22. Should my kids watch a PG movie or not? No, thank you. Never. What time should my kids go to bed? I'm just using the parent ones, right? But there's all sorts. And in every way, we have all these, what do we want? The pragmatic answer of what I should do. And what do we call that? Wisdom. 
If I could find God's will, then I'm safe. So, so I, I transmogrify or interpret this in my mind to mean I need to walk carefully. I need to walk wisely, finding out God's will in the principles and pragmatics of my life. And honestly, this is precisely to me what Paul is speaking against as he's going here with our fifth walk. Against it. I want to show you why. Because we've already, in chapter 4, said don't walk like you used to, like the Gentiles do, because everybody's after pragmatics and wisdom for a life that goes well. Everybody is. You be different. You know, the Jews seek a sign from God, and the Greeks seek wisdom from God. They just mean, tell me how to live my life, God, and then leave me alone. So we really need to address, answer two questions with certainty and confidence this morning. If you can answer these two questions going on, I'm so happy that you're getting this idea of what the Bible wants you to do with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So the first question is this, what is walking wisely? What is it exactly? What is walking wisely? Now go back. This is what I'm after. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Walk wisely wisely making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore don't be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is so so there's a difference that we have about using this concept and that's the difference of what we understand our wisdom to be you realize the first corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 jesus christ became our what wisdom from god very interesting and different. This is not about pragmatics. It's about Christ. Our wisdom is Christ. The Jews seek a sign. The Greek seeks wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified. He, our wisdom from God. First Corinthians one thirty. right? One of my favorite psalms is like this. So the thinking is, is along these lines. Walk down this line with me. This is one of my favorite psalms when I was in high school. I memorized it when I was a lonely kid in a boarding school in Hawaii. And then there I was. So I memorized Psalm 73. It's an amazing psalm if you haven't seen it. Some people call it one of the central psalms of the Bible. It's right there in the middle. Written by a guy named Asaph. He wrote about a dozen of the psalms. And he looked out at the world and he said, I'm getting sad, God, at you. Why? Because I see all these people getting ahead and doing all these things and using all these principles, but they don't love you, God. They don't know you. And they just seem, it seems like things are working out there and it's not working for me. And then it says, I was about to slip and stumble and just throw it all away because this stuff doesn't work. And then he said, I came into the temple where I worshiped. Look what he says. He says in verse 21 of Psalm 73, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. <laughs> right? That's, I'm ignorant and I'm unwise and I was trying to go the wrong way. The wrong way was to impose my own understanding of how things are going out there. My own views of human justice. My, my wrong way is to say, I'm going to go join them and let's go jump in. The wrong way is to act like God isn't in charge and doesn't have him and isn't really on the throne. But God brings him back in verse 23. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Don't say my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see that in spite of him, who has him all the time? God does. And, 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 and wisdom was God opened his eyes to it. This is wisdom Old Testament style. Coming back to realize God holds his hand and God guides him with his counsel and God has him all the way through. That This is it. And instead of getting pulled into a system of self-improvement, self-reliance, self-orientation by getting some wisdom principles, now it's over here saying, I worship this God who has me. Come back for a minute. You're in the chair. We're the guy in the chair. We're the one who kind of gets glimpses of where I want to go or, or, or just has even wrong ways I want to go. And But I don't really have the ability and the, 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 the skill to get to the places that I need to go. So this wisdom is realizing that. It says careful, which is wisdom, making best use of the time, meaning you can waste your time. You can be embittered and not trusting and be angry. And the the days are evil, the very paradigm you and I live in. It pulls on us to get the focus back on us and say, no, I got to get so I can I can do that. I can drive. I can make it to where I'm supposed to go because I know I should be over here, even if I'm not really supposed to be there. In chapter 6, we're going to look at it later. It says, hey, you need to be able to withstand the evil day. Which means keep your focus on the truth that you have someone who has control of the little driving stick. That's what this is saying. To be foolish in this sense is not even realizing you're the one who can't drive. You're the wrong one. You need a guider. You need one who uses you. And instead, instead of thinking and being foolish and thinking you got to drive, you need to know the will of God for you. That's what it says, right? Instead of being foolish, know, understand what the will of the Lord is. This isn't how many hours to let your kids sleep. This is the will of the Lord to give you Jesus. You know, that's the will of the Lord for you. He desired to save you, to give you Christ, to seal you with the Spirit, to use you as he wants to use you. This is the understanding that our wisdom is Jesus, and what you and I need is this constant reminder to to response, which is him at the center. So not kind of like get the right principles so you can be wise. Not just let go and be casual about it because... Because who cares? Watch your garden flood. But this carefully keep the cross at the center. Trust Jesus. Trust his love for you. Trust that he has you. So 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 this is this is this is big stuff. This is actually really important as we think about guiding responses of our life to the wonder that Jesus is for us and what wisdom is and not getting pulled back to the world and thinking what wisdom is, is getting the right pragmatic principles so that my life goes better. So that's fine, Dax, you might say. I get it. Walk wisely is walk 
knowing that Jesus has you. But, but how does that actually work, you know? That's not actually very helpful. That Those are a lot of words without a lot of, like, practical help. That's why you need the second question. So if you understand what walking wisely is, you say, yeah, it's that, but I need more help about how that's going to work out. Then you need the second question, which is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because Paul comes along and he joins walking carefully in wisdom with being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Strongly together, let me, let me show you. This is our second question. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Verse 18. And he says, now, now that you get this, don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. Well, I know the will of the Lord is to, to give me Christ. And, and, and then I come over and say, and also, says Paul, do not get drunk with wine because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk, but be filled. So, so, so on the one hand, get, get what's going on here. So on the one hand, we see that our problem, what's our, what's our problem? Our problem is that we see wisdom as some sort of pragmatic, principle-driven program of self-improvement to maximize life. And it isn't. Our wisdom is Jesus. But if you get that, so my wisdom is Jesus. Okay, great. Jesus has me. I'm going to go have a cocktail. Like, like, like that's not the wrong, Paul, Paul anticipates, that's not the wrong response. I, that if you really get that, that Jesus has everything for me, I'm just going to go party. I'm going to go relax because it doesn't matter. Jesus has me. And he says, no, no, don't waste like in debauchery, anticipation, and something has no meaning. Don't do that. Instead, do this. Be filled with the Spirit. So, Paul says, I understand that response. It goes with what I've been telling you, but that's not the answer. That's dissipation. That's debauchery. A big word to me is a waste. It says, he says, this walking in wisdom is, is tied to being filled with the Spirit. I, I want to make sure you get this. I want to make sure you see how they're tied together. So let me take a minute and do that. I, I, if I want my life to count, and I do, I want yours to count. If I want to be blessed, if I want to be used, I, I think what I have to do is to get the will of God. Right? Which I think in my mind is his direction for what I'm going to do. Like, you know, should I marry Wilhelmina? Sorry if your name's Wilhelmina. I'm trying to pick a really weird name. Should I be a missionary in the Congo? Should I turn right at the stoplight? Should I buy the red car, the green car? What, how should I spend my money? I get, well, if I could get the will of God, then I know that I'd be making the right decisions. So I, I tie in my mind this idea of the will of God. Searching these things out so I get, okay, it, it glorifies God more if I do A. And I think that's what God's trying to teach me. And I said, no, wait, 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 wait. No, trust Jesus. He's your wisdom. But, but don't say, I'm going to trust Jesus and then go numb yourself to this world. Instead, trust Jesus. He has you. He's got his hand on the stick there. And be filled with the Spirit. What does that have to do with wise living? Everything. The Holy Spirit is the helper that God gave us to be constantly remind us that Jesus is everything for us, right? He's the teacher, the paraclete, the comforter. 
And not only that, but you need to see this. He uses you as he wants to. What do I mean? Well, you guys know the story, right? John, John chapter 3. John 3.16, everybody knows. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, so, so that, but earlier in the chapter, he's talking to Nicodemus, right? And I've, we've shared this before. Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus is there, and he's questioning Jesus, and, and they talk about being born again. You know, as a Christian, one of the things you are is born again. You have to do it. And Nicodemus has no idea. He's like, what do you mean, going to the womb another time? And Jesus has this interaction with him. And, and look, just let me pull out a little bit there. In verse 4, Nicodemus says to Jesus, it's right in the middle here, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Got to be born of the Spirit, see? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. So this whole idea is every single person who trusts in Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Don't miss what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your Savior, is saying to you. You're born again if you get the Spirit, which you have by trusting Jesus. You've been sealed with it. Ephesians tells us, even in this very letter, Ephesians chapter 1, right, says you're sealed with the Spirit. is guaranteed you have the Holy Spirit. And it says if you have the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit blows you where he will. What does that mean? It means there's the guy with the hand on the, on the lever, and you're thinking you want to go over there. But he's going to take you wherever he wants you to go. Realize, I sometimes think he's talking about the Spirit himself. Like, well, the Spirit blows where it wishes and it just goes. No, he's saying, so is the person. Look, look, look. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That means you, Christian. You have no idea what the Holy Spirit is going to do with your life because he's got you and he's in control. So what's my wisdom in that? My wisdom is that is realizing he's in control, not me. Let me just say, when I was 20, 25... I did not think I'd be standing in a pulpit in Bellingham, Washington, talking about Jesus. I was a doctor thinking about going overseas to do medical missions. No idea. Guess who's not in charge? Me. Right? That's right. None of us. Right. So here we are. And, and this idea that the Holy Spirit's at work and we know we have the Spirit because Ephesians chapter 1 says we do. Jesus promised that we read it earlier, says, when I go to heaven, I'm sending you the helper that's going to be in you. So you have the Holy Spirit. And my difficulty is, honestly, I don't feel it. Well, if I have the Holy Spirit, shouldn't I feel? Isn't there a little voice that's supposed to talk in my ear? Isn't there a flooded feeling that I'm supposed to like be washed over with? No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible just says you have him. I have him. So, so come back, come back to our text here which is here, which is, says, be filled with the Spirit. So I know wise living is trusting Jesus, and I know it's not pragmatics. I know I'm not supposed to go drown my sorrows and my troubles and drink. That's not helpful. I'm supposed to know the Spirit will use me as he wants to use me, but it does say filled with the Spirit. And so it sounds a whole lot like I'm supposed to go get him. 
And so out of this, I, I again, pull it to myself again. I start to say, well, h- how about, it's not how well I do with wisdom principles. It's how well I do with getting filled. So how can I get filled? Maybe if I meditate for two hours, I'll get 15 minutes of speaking in tongues. Maybe if I do this over here, I'll get more of the Spirit. And, and there's other things I can do to maximize getting filled with the Spirit. Because I kind of think of the Spirit like the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on people like a king for fulfilling the task that they wanted. And then the Spirit would leave. And you get these pictures like of Saul, the Holy Spirit left him. Like, wow, I don't want the Spirit to leave me. And, and I think, wow, I don't want to grieve the Spirit. And again, if you walked with us through Ephesians 4, you know that that's talking about a very specific thing, not... Oh, you sinned, and therefore the Spirit left. So, you know what? This is a realization. This is wisdom to realize that you are filled. Right? And you're supposed to be who you are. That's the thing. You're this. Because the filling isn't filling up a glass and emptying it. Like, like, like that's the thing. Like, oh, I got filled with the Spirit and then he emptied out. And now I got filled with the Spirit and he emptied out. No, no, no. This is much more. When it talks about this, it's not talking about repeated filling like you need to do it. Or it says be filled. Be this. And what it is, it's more like a pie. Have you ever had a pie? A fruit pie? Let's call it apple pie. By the way, I hate warm, mushy fruit. So if you want to be with me, think about it like a chocolate pie. But apple pie is just, that's American. So there you go. So think your apple pie. And you got your apple pie. And in the middle of the apple pie, if I cut into the apple pie, what I see in the middle of the apple pie is this warm, mushy fruit that's called filling. Filling. So when the Bible talks about, hey, be filled with the Spirit, it says, here's your apple pie and let's cut into it. This is, let what's in there be fragrant out. Let it come out because you have this, right? You've got it. It's inside you. Be filled is, is to be, hey, be show your filling. Is the idea. It's not get more of it, like can we stuff more apples in there? <laughs> Yuck. And, and maybe if you said stuff more chocolate in there. <laughs> Wrong kind of pie. But but there, there, this is the idea right there, right? This is the description. Express the apple pieness that you are. The crust, you know, doesn't really tell me what kind of pie it is. You cut into it and there it is. It's apple pie. And it has the filling. And so what you are doing here is looking at the cross and not the world. You're walking carefully, not to use pragmatics for self-improvement, not using liquor for self-numbing, but instead trusting. And look at what it looks like. This is why I'm saying this. Because Paul gives this be-filled idea passive middle you're not doing it yourself you're this and here's what it looks like he gives these four supporting phrases in verse 19 he says this here's what look be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms that's the first thing the second thing singing and making melody to the lord with your heart The third thing, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the fourth thing, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let me take a moment and highlight these because this is so important. Say, be filled with the Spirit. Show your filling, your apple pieness. And I think, well, being filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. No, he doesn't even mention it. Speaking in songs, maybe. Because that's what he says, right? This first one, this first one was addressing one another, so talking to each other in psalms and songs and hymns, spiritual songs. See, see, encouraging one another with praises. 
That's what that means. Not, not pointing out faults. Not getting into pragmatics. That, that's not Holy Spirit-filledness. Not even speaking in tongues. Though honestly, and I am, I'm using that a lot, so let me just make sure. The Holy Spirit can do anything, including making you speak in a tongue. You realize the Holy Spirit's way bigger than that. He's the guy driving. You're in the chair. But as you show it, the things that show, because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal and to comfort and to help teach us about Jesus, there's these things that say you and I are praising Jesus together. Helping each other look to the cross. You know, that's what most of our songs are. Some of our songs are lament, or we talk about our sin when we sing. But mostly when you sing, think about the the hymns you sing. They're mostly about how awesome Jesus is, praising our Lord Jesus together. And we come around, and as we do that with each other, we're encouraging our hearts in the right way. And the second thing's not far off from that, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So that's a supernatural wonder that inside, really from your heart, You sing to the Lord. By the way, that's not intercession or complaining. It's just a song for him. That birth in you is this amazing wonder that you're saved. That's supernatural, you know. If you have this, it's supernatural. The Holy Spirit's at work in you to give you even the hint of a song sometimes. In spite of the difficulties of your world, in spite of the things in your face, in spite of the ways that you failed, in spite of the, these things, you say, hey, what the Holy Spirit continues to do is just sometimes I just, for a lot of people, it's, it's around certain things like, hey, in the morning when I walk and I'm, I'm out, I'm walking the dog and I just, oh, Lord, you're so awesome. I'm singing a song to you as the sun rises. Giving thanks, he says in verse 20, the third thing. And always, always, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's the only way I can give thanks for everything is to think, oh man, Jesus has me every moment. Because otherwise, there's no way I'm giving thanks for everything. I'll give thanks for the good stuff. And I'll ask that you take away the bad stuff, please now. But this Holy Spirit comes in and it's not even me. It's, it's otherworldly. It's at work when you can be thankful at all times. It's supernatural stuff, not normal. Because my normal is to complain. To change my circumstances, to fight the machine, to intercede and to change. Instead, to always give thanks. That's the, that's the smell of the apples in you. Holy Spirit smell. Or this last one. Submitting to one another, verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. This willingness not to win. So otherworldly. I was, I was listening last night. I was typing my sermon. It was late because I'd gotten back from Oregon late and I was working on it. But my kids were watching a little bit of TV and they're watching this thing called America's Got Talent, I think. It was a rerun. It was like their top 15 things, whatever. And one of the guys on there was talking about one of the acts. And, and I think his name is Simon Call. Well, I don't know, Simon, whoever. So it's the, the English guy. He has an accent and he's got strong opinions and blah, blah, blah. But, but there he was. And he said, he said of one of the contestants who was one of the top 15 amazing acts, he said, he said of her, he said, she's a real fighter. She wants to win. And that's why she will do well in life. That one. You know what? He's not wrong. That drive to win, that drive to get it, that drive to attain, that drive to, It's all so, yes, I get it, I get it, I've been there. But man, if you want to get somewhere, have that drive. It's just not 
Christianity. That's just very different. Because that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, man, that's... And that doesn't make that evil. That makes it active in the world. This is we're all in the world and we live in the world. But we come here and the Holy Spirit starts to drive us as we're in the chair. We think that we need to go over here. We try and push the button to get over there. But actually the Holy Spirit moves us because he moves us where he wills. And he gets in our heart and he starts to give us these desires that are different. These are the marks of your apple pinus coming out. Not that you try to get there. Not that you saying, well, okay, these are the good things. I'll just sub out these things I was doing. One, two, three, four. I was trying to attain those. We'll cancel those out and we'll move them in one, two, three, four. Now we'll have new things to try and attain. No, the whole deal is you're trusting and the Holy Spirit is moving in you. The Spirit does it. The helper that Jesus gives. This is what wisdom is is to see it, is to trust it. Okay, this is what we've done today. I need to be done. Let, let, me, let me say, this is, this is our last walk. And what I've tried to do today is to try and push you the depth and the wonder of what this walk actually is. Because in our parlance and in the semantic range of the language we use, we tend to pull these things into our own worldly way of thinking. But actually this most amazing walk, and we'll spend more time on the submission part next week, but this amazing walk is a walk of wisdom. And to understand that, you've got to get it away from what you and I as Gentiles, as Greeks, as people in the flesh of this world, we like to make of ideas like wisdom. So walk carefully with your eyes open. This is the danger that you're going to walk and define wisdom wrongly. So be wise and not foolish means trust your wisdom who's Jesus. The only way that happens is the Spirit's at work and His filling, His filling is seen in these fruits that start to come out of us that are strange things that the Lord values. Praising Him together. Making melody in our own heart. Having thanksgiving. The Holy Spirit begins to do that in us. You know, we are beasts before Him. You know, the distance between us and God is so great We are like beasts before the intelligent, mighty, awesome God. And yet he has condescended to with his hand in our little chair and we can't get to where we need to be and he moves us. This is what it is, you guys. We can rest here. That doesn't mean do nothing. It means trust that he's doing right now what he wants in you. He is your God. He's not your advisor. He is your God. Walk wisely. Let's do it.